Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska, and this is today's Bible class. Today's Bible class is designed especially for our podcast listeners. It's designed to help us get into God's Word a little bit, oh, about 12 minutes or so each day, to turn our focus on God and our spiritual lives, our relationship with our Creator, to help us think in a more positive and productive way from a spiritual perspective so that we can better take on the day and get through the day. We encourage you to share these short studies with everybody you can, your friends, your family members, your work associates, neighbors, anybody and everybody. You can do that through Facebook friends, you can do that through text messages, and maybe some other technological means that you have access to. By sharing, you can help others have a better day. You may help others start to turn their life around in a more positive direction, and you may even help them start on that walk toward heaven. So think about how much of an impact you may have on somebody else's life just by sharing these short studies. We encourage you to do so. We're going to look at a line of thinking and a problem a challenge, we could say, that I really think is so prevalent in our culture today, but not just in our culture in this country, but really around the world for the most part. And that is sexual immorality. Now, okay, sounds like a technical term, doesn't it? Kind of scary. Some people might say, I don't want to hear anything about that. I remember talking to a very dear, dedicated sincere, hard-working Christian lady in her later years who had talked to me one time about what her life had been like when she was younger. And she said, you know, one day I just opened up the Bible. I was going to read something from the scriptures. I just opened it up and my eyes fell on a verse that said, flee sexual immorality. She said, I closed that Bible up. (laughs) I think we both you know, chuckled a bit at that point. You see, that's the way a whole lot of people are. They don't want to talk about sexual immorality. And it is all around us. It is a temptation that is constant and recurring in our life today. It really is. Now, when we're talking about sexual immorality, we're talking about that broad umbrella that encompasses all kinds of sexual sins. And when we're talking about sexual immorality, we're talking about sexual sin. And again, it comes at us from different directions through different temptations, and it can be committed in different ways and different expressions, but it's there. As a gospel minister for a great many years, a number of decades now, I have said a number of times that in my counseling experience, I have found sexual immorality probably to be the most debilitating of all temptations that the devil finally gets someone, a Christian, to succumb to. But it's not just a Christian, it's even those who have yet to become Christians. When he can get them through that sin of sexual immorality, Boy, it's almost like it's overwhelming for so many people. They seem like they have a very difficult time overcoming that particular temptation and sin. Now, the word debilitating means really, basically, you could say handicapping. 
I've seen Christians who were dedicated, longtime Christians, sincere, maybe even hardworking Christians, who fell into the sin of some kind of sexual immorality, and it was like just a switch in their life turned off. And they turned away from their God in faithfulness. Now that's how dangerous this particular line of sin is. I want us to look at a particular case that we find for us, laid out for us in the scriptures, and that is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it deals with David. David, who was a great man of God from a basic perspective. And yet David fell into this very sin. We're not going to read the entire 11th and 12th chapters. I just really want to start with a few verses in chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. So here's the account. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, the first thing that we might note is that it would have been normal and natural and perhaps even, well, living up to his responsibility to be out there to, at battle, in battle, with his army. But instead, he sent his, his chief general, it would seem, Joab, and so he took the army out there and they went to battle against a foreign power. But David stayed home. He stayed home in Jerusalem. As the king, again, it would have been natural and probably responsible for him to be right there in the battlefield with his warriors. But instead, he stayed home. Well, someone has said idleness is the devil's workshop. Now, I'm sure he wasn't just sitting around the palace with his feet up all day long, every day. But still, it would seem that from a natural and responsible perspective, he probably was not where he should have been. The next verse goes on and says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now, we're talking about a different part of the world in a different time. There was no air conditioning. And so one evening, maybe David had a hard time sleeping. I don't know. Maybe it had been a hot day and he was just walking out on the roof, which would have been probably a pretty normal practice in the cool of the evening. And from there, he saw a woman who maybe she was doing the same kind of thing, but she was going farther than just taking a walk. She was, in an exposed way, bathing. Now, for anybody from a higher perspective, a higher vantage point, looking in that direction, they could undoubtedly have seen this woman who was bathing and exposed physically from whatever perspective they were looking from. David saw her doing exactly that. Verse 3 goes on and says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It's interesting that her husband was actually a soldier in David's army. And as such, he was on the battlefield at that very time. 
Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Well, interesting account. Now, if you read further, you can read through the rest of chapter 11 and chapter 12. We may come back and pick up excerpts from those chapters, but I don't want us to belabor too much in going through those because I want to make some points and understand some things. There are times in life when a split second can make, can make or break the balance of a person's days, at least during that particular period of time, maybe even it can change their life. Just a split second. A decision that's made in the heat of a moment can forever change a person's course of life. Now, our preparation for those moments makes the difference. Are we prepared or are we unprepared? Because those particular temptations or decision-making moments are going to hit us one after another through life. If we have properly trained our minds and developed our characters, then we are able to make wise decisions and live without regrets. When the Apostle Paul was writing his first letter to the, that is his first recorded letter, to the Corinthian congregation, he addressed a an immoral situation that was taking place within the church at Corinth. There was a young man who was having an adulterous affair with his father's wife, apparently a stepmother. And Paul was very direct and very pointed, very serious about what the congregation needed to do about that situation. He basically told them, you need to withdraw your fellowship from him. You need to shake him to his senses so that he does not continue in this kind of relationship. You need to help him come to the point where he realizes he needs to repent. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, we read that Paul, in his second recorded letter to that particular congregation in Corinth, that he addressed the kind of sorrow that a person needs to have. Now, in verse 10, he said, For godly sorrow produces, re produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. A whole lot of people do things they know they should not be doing, and they become sorry for doing those things. But they never stop doing them. They just keep going back on an ongoing basis, a repeated basis, and do the same things over and over again, and they still get sorry about it. But what Paul addresses here is that there needs to be what he calls godly sorrow, sincere, soul-searching sorrow, and that's repentance. That kind of sorrow leads to repentance. The sorrow that would be normal in the world, that might not change the person's life at all. They're just going to be sorry. But godly sorrow produces repentance, which is a changed life. Now, that kind of lays the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about through this particular series of studies. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand the seriousness of morality in our lives and help us, Father, to stand on guard against succumbing 
to the devil's temptations for us to become sexually immoral. It can be so weakening to our spiritual life and ultimately it can condemn our souls for all of eternity if we do not repent. Help us in this, Father. And through this series of studies, help us to take them to heart and make the proper applications to our lives. Help people everywhere see the seriousness of this sin and to turn from it. Please forgive us, gracious Father. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.